0: and welcome to this Train Help to Culture podcast. I'm your host, Jason.
1: And I'm your co-host, Luke.
0: How you going, buddy? Yeah, good, mate, good. I was almost going to wait then to see if you said it. <laughs> I was waiting for you. <laughs> I was watching your face like, are you not going to say it? I'll quickly jump in and say
1: it. <laughs> this is like an ongoing thing. One day we'll figure it out. Every yeah, now and then we exactly. get lucky. <laughs>
0: exactly, exactly. What's uh, been happening? Oh, well, Not
1: much. Same old thing. Wearing a mask for nine hours a day, kinking my beard in a really unfashionable fashion. That's you know, it's good fun coming home, having this kind of funny wave in your face. But that's all good. (laughs) Yeah, it's all good. Works pretty busy. You know, it's kind of up and down depending on the days and stuff like that. So you get some good days, some bad days. But yeah, what about yourself?
0: Yeah, same here, man. Nothing's changed really. Just getting busier. Hopefully, everything goes good at the end of this week and. The job's had the stage handed over and I might be able to have a couple of days off and hopefully knock out this enclosure. It'd be about time. That's been a few weeks now. Yeah. It's, if, if it doesn't, it's just going to be hectic for another week, I reckon. So.
1: Yeah. Well, at least you've only got a couple of animals there. It's not like you have to yeah, exactly. race forward and do it at you know super quick pace or anything like that. It's exactly right.
0: Yeah. Exactly right. Did you listen to the latest episode of uh, Carpers and Coffee?
1: I did start, I think I listened to that the first maybe 40 minutes or something of it. I had to have a good giggle when you told me that that I had to race off and listen to it. I was listening to it with my wife in the car on the way home the other day. Yeah. That was so good. I'm so glad we hit the mark with that one. That was awesome. You got him a good one. That was good. (laughs) I was actually a little bit disappointed he didn't elaborate on what we actually sent him. So I will elaborate a little bit now. So for those of you who don't know, uh, Morelia Python Radio, they're kind of like our... uh, mother podcast, if you want to call it, anything yeah. like that. Um, and one of the guys there, Owen McIntyre, he's a real big fan of Bigfoot. Um, <laughs> Absolutely loves him. And uh, yeah, anyway, we decided to kind of, <laughs> if you can't tell I'm being sarcastic, uh, we decided to kind of send him a bit of a stitch up and I sent him this really informative book on, on Yowies. So... Anyway, he finally received it. I can't believe how much that actually cost me, me to send over there. I think it was like 36 bucks or something. <laughs> it was quite
0: obscene. A lot of effort went into that from you.
1: Yeah, yeah it was a fair bit. But uh, <laughs> anyway, I thought I'd give him a bit of information so he could come and come back to Australia and bring it on his new research trip to come and find some Yowie's.
0: Exactly. Hopefully he finds one. Yeah. I found the snake version of the Yowie, so. Yeah, that's true. That's you true. Might find very real one,
1: very mythical creature. You might actually be lucky and find a Yari.
0: Yeah. Tell you what though, you do
1: hear some weird stuff in the bush every now and then if you are walking oh, around man. there at night.
0: Hundred percent, you do. Especially when you're by yourself.
1: Yeah. I remember being with a couple of mates recently. Um, when I say recently, I mean probably about six months ago, and we were walking around up in Karengai, and we had something that was jumping in between the trees. We couldn't see what it was, but I couldn't explain what it was either, and how how fast it was moving it was not possum-like. It was like a little bit weird, but anyway, and there's all, all sorts of crazy noises coming out of there. We all kind of, you know, had that shiver up our spine with what the fuck was that? <laughs>
0: you know? Yeah, yeah, you don't know sometimes. No, that's right, and some of the stuff sounds absolutely massive as well, <clears throat> whether it's wildcats or whatever. But you don't know sometimes you think it's a, you think it's a yowie. Yeah, just about. Yeah. Uh, it's
1: it's scarier when you can't put your eyes on it. I reckon that's the worst part.
0: Yeah, and because we don't have the senses that some of the other animals have, like smell and everything. So we're just kind of, you know, relying on our eyesight, but at night time it's not the best. No, no, that's why we have so, our fancy torches. Exactly.
1: <laughs> so I uh, will kind of lead into this episode with a little bit of an apology. We did have a bit of a um a blunder as far as Cooper Vanderwell's episode that we did put out a little while ago but unfortunately we must have lost part of the clip or something while we were while we were recording um so we blame the blame the thunderstorms i reckon yeah it was probably something along those lines and a couple of internet dropouts here and there but yeah luckily for us cooper's been very willing to come back on and and catch up with us again and give us his time and grace and do it all over again and luckily tonight there is no thunderstorms or rainstorms around so hopefully this goes yep. a little bit smoother
0: fingers crossed
1: so, let's introduce the man himself, Cooper from Coop's Reptiles. Hey, mate, how are you going? Hey, guys. How are you? Good to be back again.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yep. Thanks yeah. for coming back, mate.
1: You're our first returning guest.
0: Yeah.
2: Oh, what an honor. It's, it's amazing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it feels like deja vu. I was like, I swear yeah. we only did this a couple of weeks ago, but you know.
2: That's right. Yeah, you're going to be asking me all the questions and I'm going to be like, I feel like I've said this all before. Yeah. But, uh,
1: <laughs> yeah. I'm actually okay. glad that you're coming on now because you've had a couple of things happen recently with a few, you know, enclosures and stuff that you've you've done recently, which we'll get into later. So I'm actually glad that you're back now so we can actually chat about that. Because I'm keen on hearing about it. And I'm sure everybody else will be keen about hearing about it. So yeah, it's um glad to have you back, that's for sure. So um mate, just to start all over again, refresh yep. our minds. I know a few people actually struggled through that episode and decided to listen to the whole thing. They're the real... Thanks for that. <laughs> they're the real legends out there. They could sit down through that. I couldn't get through about 10 minutes myself. But um, yeah, give us a bit of a rundown of what actually got you into reptiles.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I have quite a typical story like a lot of us have starting in reptiles. As a kid, I was always you know, massively into dinosaurs and things like that. And uh, I was actually born up in North Queensland. I lived up in Townsville for the first seven years of my life, and I distinctly remember a, a couple of years of age. As soon as I could sort of walk around, I suppose I was, you know, cruising around in the front yard, and I came across a little, some sort of little a gamut. Uh, looking back now, it must have been some sort of Diprotodera species, some sort of two-line dragon, and I just thought that was the coolest thing ever. And you know, eventually we ended up catching a few and uh, keeping them as some pets, and it just sort of grew from there. And Yeah, it's just, it's great to, it was great to live in a place like that where you're just sort of surrounded by a lot of wildlife and it really just, yeah, blossoms out of that, I think.
1: That's awesome. I have to kind of just give us a little bit of a sidetrack. I know we're only just getting into this, but I want to know when you were catching these reptiles, of course, you know, as kids, we're none the wiser. We didn't know about reptile licensing or any of that sort of stuff. Did you actually come up with any sort of traps or were you actually just catching them by hand? Just by hand, yeah. I wasn't, you know, smart enough to figure out any sort of trap or anything. <laughs> I think See, my dad we-
2: definitely gave me a hand as well. He was a bit more experienced in the, the catching department, but um, yeah, that's that's all it was back in the day.
1: No, I, I, I distinctly remember as a kid when I was catching things in the backyard or whatever, like setting up little traps and trying to be like you know MacGyver and setting up a few little things yeah. to try to get some animals and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I can't exactly remember what I was doing, but I remember not being quick enough to catch most of these animals. Sorry. Yeah, I struggled to catch most of the lizards running around my backyard. <laughs> especially like little garden skinks and oh, stuff man. like that. They're so lightning
2: quick. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, lucky enough that a lot of things up there especially, they just sort of come to you. So, I mean, I know my dad back in the day used to keep a lot of small birds and finches and things and have those in cages and aviaries out the back and, you know, having something like that around obviously attracts snakes so we'd get little spotted pythons and things come in and try and eat the birds water python and so once they're sort of in there trying to devour a bird you can quite easily you know get them and pick them up and then you know shove them in a little tank yeah
1: (laughs) i suppose the bird cage becomes the trap yeah pretty much hey (laughs) i have to ask did you ever have like any monitors or anything get into your bird cages Uh, Not that I can recall. Uh, We definitely
2: didn't keep any monitors that's for sure. I think the only things we would have had around would have been laces but we were pretty like suburban I guess so you don't see that sort of stuff very often around our Mm -hmm. house I suppose but yeah you know still a lot of cool stuff hanging about. What was it like getting into the hobby at such a young age? Uh, Very different (laughs) to how it is now (laughs) for most people I suppose. I mean Again, it's just literally all wild caught animals. Again, because I didn't know you needed a license anything like that. It was kind of just whatever you come across that you think is cool and you can sort of fit into a tank somewhere or whatever. Then, yeah, you just go from there. I'm very lucky in that my father is quite a handy sort of guy. He's really good with uh with his tools and he can build some good enclosures and things. So it uh it makes life a lot easier.
0: Yep. Oh, that definitely makes sense. Hundred percent. Yeah.
1: So, um, you kind of talked about like what your collection essentially was, you know, as far as wild caught animals go, when you did actually start getting your reptile license and stuff all sorted, did you end up, you kept a few snakes or something early on, didn't you? Apart from the spotted and water python?
2: Yeah. So, after moving down from North Queensland, again, when I was about seven years old or so, uh, again, the first couple of years, uh, that was before I had a license as well. Um, and again, you'd find things that are local to you, like diamond pythons, Jackie dragons, uh, blue tongues, a few turtles, things like that. I had a common tree snake for a while too. That was pretty fun. Um, and yeah, just things like that. And then eventually the license came in and got your sort of basic things like blueies and beardies and stuff. And it's grown from there. (laughs)
1: it's a bit of a shock when you kind of find out that there is actually a license in place for all this stuff i think because i was kind of similar where i was keeping a few geckos and stuff like that before i actually realized that a reptile license was a thing and then you kind of feel bad you're like oh i've been doing it all wrong this whole time
0: (laughs) but then you get that the species list and it's like when you first get your license and you're like you know, you get that species list and you look at it. It's almost like a shopping list. It's like, oh, I need to get one of that. Oh, I need to get one of that. Oh, I didn't know you could keep that. I want to get one of that. And then you're like, you know, you're just trying to track everything down. But I was lucky. I think, was, like I've said before, I kind of knew the license was around because my mate kind of got me into it. But um, but yeah, when I first saw that list, I was just almost like a kidney candy store. I'm like back when I think the, I was on Google on the APS forums and I'm like, typing in all the species you could keep trying to see what you could get who's got them who was selling them but yeah <clears throat> becomes collectoritis exactly <laughs> yeah it doesn't it sorry it goes <laughs> quick too yeah
1: it doesn't take much to fill up a room that's for sure yeah i think everyone's guilty of that you know whenever anybody gets into the hobby and they kind of discover what's out there you do see all these different pretty animals everywhere and it becomes so easy to kind of just go so deep you know like all of a yeah. sudden you've got a bit of everything and i can't talk i still got a bit of everything but <laughs> you know it's you, you do you do go down that wormhole until you kind of figure out something that you might like or you might want to focus on a little bit more and
0: yeah and you kind i've of done stick it a few that. times yeah but um
1: you've been in and out a few times as well though haven't you
0: uh not so much out this is my first one time out but i've kind of kept things sold things to get other things, like was originally pythons and went into geckos and now i sold everything and yeah I'm trying to work out what i want i kind of know now but the list keeps getting bigger every time i have people on so <laughs> it does. Yep.
1: i think cooper and i will have to come around and help you dig out that turtle pond soon yep
0: <laughs> <laughs> i've got the spot for it so just need a
1: bit of manpower
0: and a few shovels yep Maybe a few beers as well. That might go all right. <laughs> a few cold ones, yeah. Putting mine like a dug too quick, but you know the cold <laughs> ones will taste good.
1: <laughs> so Coop, with um, uh, early on, did your dad help you kind of put a put a few projects together? Like, did you guys end up kind of making a few tanks and stuff?
2: Yes, yeah, so I guess early on, uh, I didn't basic thing that most people do is i had just animals in fish tanks and things like that that you pick up and then where we really started building things was with the outdoor enclosures so uh basically just started off with like a big reptile pit essentially kind of like what i have now just big bits of tin sunk into the ground so animals can't dig out and basic design but it works really well i think dad sort of thought of that idea after he used to use like a an old above ground swimming pool when he was a kid as sort of a reptile pit so um, i just sort of adapted from that and um yeah it's just kind of gone
0: from there it's pretty cool growing up as like having your dad into reptiles as well like you know that's probably something that our kids if they get into reptiles might get but you don't hear too many people our age that's parents were into reptiles and kind of pass that passion down so that's like that's pretty cool to hear that
2: yeah it's really cool like i love hearing some of his old stories and stuff like he used to breed diamond pythons and things and he said he used to like grab the eggs after the female laid eggs and then shove them behind his fridge where it was like kind of warm (laughs) you know where the little warm area is from the fridge and he'd hatch them out from there and you know feed them little geckos and things and like just just weird things like that you're just like wow like how the
0: how they used to do it back in the day it's crazy you know. Yeah, now we've got all this technology like we can just go and buy an incubator, you can go and buy thermostats and you can get everything to the exact degree that you want. Yeah, yeah. Like I, Back I, buy in things, those days. I buy things in now and
2: you know, show it off to him and he's like, Oh, how good's that? That makes life yeah. much easier, doesn't it? He's like, like yeah. even like a temp gun or something. I'm like shining it around. He's like, Oh, that's cool, it's got a laser. <laughs> <laughs>
1: They're yeah, handy cool for torching your cats with too. Yeah, and yeah, dogs.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and kids.
1: <laughs> Even my little mountain
2: dragons chase it around sometimes. I think it's a little flying bug or something. They chase it around the enclosure. I sit here sometimes for a few minutes just, you know, making them chase yeah. it around. It's good fun. That's cool.
1: <laughs> I've been kind of like subco- not subconsciously. I've been, I've been consciously trying to like almost use it to try to target train Loki a little bit too. That's cool just to see if he can respond to it and he definitely sees the light but he doesn't seem to get like i'm, I'm just trying to put the light and food together so mm. then he can kind of come to me for food or something like that so or you know like a reward but i might get there one day he's a little bit slow at learning some things yeah i've heard something similar done i think with some komodo
2: dragons or something where they yeah they get them to go to one side of the exhibit so they can come in from the other side or, or something rather like that and yeah, yeah, it apparently worked really well. So, yeah, yeah. that'd be cool Different if you
0: could colored do um, that. Gloves and buckets and stuff, like ones for cleaning, ones for feeding and stuff.
1: Yeah. I, I think it was actually on NPR that I heard that about. Yeah. Uh, it was one of their monitor episodes or something like that, potentially, yeah. that yeah. I heard about the laser targeting. I mean, Loki already definitely recognises the pink feeding tongs is he's yeah. getting fed because as soon as he sees those, he's just done a big belly flop in the water trying to get out <laughs> the door. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm yet to try to convince him that the target or the, or the laser is actually
2: you know, a different thing. Well, it's amazing how far he's come for you. I remember first time I came and visited you, like he, he wouldn't even feed in front of you. So, no.
1: yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, now, definitely smart. Yeah, now I don't stop him feeding in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> Completely different animal, which is quite cool. Uh, it does make it a little bit sketchy at times, but, you know, yeah, I just need to put in a bit more work with him, which I'm actually super excited that when I do move into this place, he's actually going to be essentially in a room off the lounge room. So, he's going to be right there. Well, I'm going, as much as Danny, don't listen to this, Danny, if you are going <laughs> But I'm thinking that I'll start getting him out a lot more to kind of walk around the, the house and stuff like that and see if I can kind of get doing, him to get
2: him. Doing a Doc Merton.
1: Doing the Doc Merton, doing the slinky from Camp Cannon, you know, just trying to get it yeah. out, a bit more enrichment and stuff, let him stretch his legs properly. That'll be awesome. Um, i just yeah. have to keep him away from any couches or anything like that because I can see that going really <laughs> south really quick. And then it might end up divorced, but you know, we'll see how we go. <laughs> <laughs> just buy cheap couches, you'll be right. Yeah, I know. I'm looking at Ikea and she's looking at two grand couches. I'm like, oh, what about this $500 one just in case I ruin it? But <laughs> yeah, without her knowing what I'm planning.
0: But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> now she knows. <laughs> yeah, hopefully she doesn't
1: listen to this. Yeah, we'll see how we go. So, um, could just are you able to give us a bit of an overview of what your collection is looking like these days? Yeah, for sure. So, I guess
2: my main sort of focus is essentially Boyds and Blotchies, or Boyds and Blueies really, I should say. So I keep a lot of different blue tongue skink species. I've got uh, Centralians, Westerns, Easterns, and Blotchies, of course. Blotchies are my favorite. And of course, got the Boyds Forest Dragons, been breeding those like crazy for quite a while now. And then I've got a few other little things as pets and little other projects. I've got my mountain dragons, like I mentioned. I've got couple turtles they're pretty much just pets uh, i've got a awesome little gillen's monitor from the man himself the gillen eye guru and uh <laughs> recently i've just gotten a couple of snakes as well so I've got a little pygmy python and i'm currently just holding on to a little stimson's python for my girlfriend until she can take it home so yeah i got a Children's. few different things yeah 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 all right all right <laughs> uh, <laughs> so yeah a few different things it keeps me busy
1: that's awesome yeah, I'd, um, I've um, i definitely known you as the bluey guy for a very long yeah. time now and you've done pretty well with the blotchies. Oh, actually, all blueies, really. Yes, you nailed the Westerns this year as well, didn't you?
2: Yeah, I was stoked They're yeah, probably my favourite. I love those Westerns. Yeah. <laughs> They're so cool. I was so stoked to pop them out. I didn't even think she was pregnant at all. She was running around like a normal lizard, didn't look that fat at all. And then... About five minutes before I was about to leave for work, I just walked past her enclosure and I see a little baby sitting on top of her back, basking under the heat <laughs> light. And I just started screaming, just screaming. My dad was on the toilet at the time and he's just like yelling out like, what's going on? He thought I've broken my leg or something. And then he comes out and I'm just holding this little baby, shoved it in his face. Look at this, look at this. And yeah, it was just awesome. That was probably my favorite. That was probably the highlight of my season last season. So sure, really cool it's- animals.
1: It's good to have those kind of highlights, though, where you get super. Like, I mean, everything's good, right? Like, it doesn't matter what it is. Any little baby's going to be cute. But when you have something that's something new, something exciting, something a little bit rare in captivity, too, like that's something that you really get super worked up about.
2: Yeah, I was stoked. And I can't wait to uh, produce some more. They're powering along really well. And um, it is a cool species, again, that you don't see around very often. So, yeah, yeah, it just gets me really pumped. I got to crack the centralian still, though. I haven't done that yet. And they're, they're a big one for me
1: that I want to do. Josh Insley did his, didn't he? He bred his. Yeah, yeah. Two years ago, I think now. And yeah, mm. they're, they're amazing. Yeah, beautiful animals. They're definitely on my want list. I, I don't know if I'd want the Centralians or the Westerns more. The Westerns, I, I mean, I've seen both in person in the wild now, so I'm pretty lucky to have That's seen so both cool. of that. Yeah. Yeah. But I, like, I, I always thought the Centralians were really cool until I saw a Western in the wild and I was like, oh, man, the Westerns are really nice. Like, really, Especially really the nice. one
2: that you saw. Not The NT localities <laughs> are the nicest ones around. And they're v- really, like, Westerns in general are rare in captivity, but NT locality Westerns are, like, you know, one once in, I can't even explain, like, I never see them around. <laughs> yeah, wow. Well,
1: do you know the locality of yours or the supposedly? Yeah, mine are...
2: Uh, Geraldton WA locality, so coastal WA animals.
1: Yep. Yeah. Yeah, well. wow.
2: Which, in my opinion, are like the next nicest after the, uh, the really nice light NTs. And then your South Australian ones are usually those more chocolatey, dark-coloured ones. I mean, so it just depends what you're into. But I like the really really
1: bright ones for, for me. Yeah. Well, yours are very bright too. I remember seeing that video come out that you dropped and I was just like, oh, I can't believe you actually got some, and let alone the – the three babies and they're stunning. I like the little like kind of – I don't even know how you used to, just to describe it. It's almost like a little bit of a cross pattern that they've got on their back almost. They've yeah, in, inside,
0: their,
2: inside their banding, they've got like yeah. Yeah, those, those white crosses. It's really cool. And I think they get that a lot from their – like their, their mother's got high white on the back there. Their dad's kind of got those squiggly cross marks. So they have a really nice combination of that. And it's, it's different to – the scales on their back, like the scales on the back are more of a cream colour, but those little bits inside the bands are just bright white. It looks really cool.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, they're my favourite, the Westerns. I think if I was ever going to keep blueies. I get some Westerns, I think. Yeah, They're
2: really good. Animals. They're a bit more shy than like other species, like Easterns or blotches or anything, but uh, they're not as like grumpy as Centralians. I <laughs> Centralians are just grumpy little potatoes, but... The uh, yeah, the westerns they're kind of like easterns, but um, obviously a bit prettier looking, I
1: think. <laughs> yeah, so a- out of the species that you do have there, do you have kind of like a particular favorite that you like working with? Yeah, it's got to be the uh, the alpine
2: blotchies, that's for sure. Um, I like anything that I can keep outside and that's not going to just just die on me out of nowhere. Like, they're so hardy, they're so pretty too. Like, I think they're, they're my favorite looking blue tongue, I think they've got the nicest natural coloration especially the ones i have like the the new south wales alpine types so beautiful and um they eat almost they got, like, anything reds <laughs> and
0: yellows and
2: everything through them don't they mm. yeah yeah there some are, i got some that have blue blue sides bluish green wow. sides uh, yellow and then, of course yeah that deep red on top some from luke that i got which are really nice and pink animals i absolutely love those they're some of my favorites and yeah
1: they're just so variable it's it's really cool they are an awesome species. I'm um I'm pretty gutted that I lost most of mine, but they're one of those ones that I know down the line when I get like an actual house or something like that that I could do like a big pit like what you've got there. It'd be something that I'd be ke- really keen to get back into. Yeah, they they are. You're right. They're so hardy though. Like they're just bulletproof unless there's a mm-hmm. heat wave that comes through. But you know that's yeah. just human error. <laughs> I don't think anything's gonna you know survive that. You know it's nothing you can do really. Nah, right. no. It was a bloody oven outside that day. <laughs> yeah. Well that weekend I should
0: say it didn't just last yeah, a day. Yeah, it was a few days, yeah.
2: Yeah, whenever you're ready, mate, just let me know and you
1: <laughs> uh, Well you never know, you I'm might be, you might be uh potentially getting one <laughs> up your way if you if you wanna. But uh yeah, I've got one lone one here that um if I can't figure out my reptile rooms and keep her in a reptile room, then I might have to give you a tingle. And if you want to add another one to the hoard, you're more than welcome. Well, I wouldn't I definitely wouldn't mind another female. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty After, sure it's um, a girl. Yeah. After last season,
2: I had a really good season. All my girls except one had babies. Um, but one of them, she was always a, a giant animal, like a monster. She was 55 centimeters or something, but just huge. And she was really big. She gave me three babies and she still looked quite big after she gave me those babies. She was acting a bit weird for a while. Uh, she, she was eating, but then she like sort of stopped eating and I she started losing some conditions. So Rushed her to the vet and she ended up having a baby stuck inside and um, yeah so after that we, we tried to like do some things to get her to try and pass that baby that didn't work had to get, head down to um, I think it was the northern beaches or somewhere down that way uh, to a specialty vet to have surgery on her. and by that time uh, they, after they cut her open they actually found she also had two large um, infertile ovums as well and one had actually ruptured inside. And okay. uh, so she survived the surgery, but she didn't survive the night after. So, yeah. pretty pretty big blow. But um, yeah, it's just part of breeding animals. I think people need to talk about that sort of thing a bit more. And um, the baby she yeah. had, though, Jesus Christ, they're absolute monsters. Like, I'm not surprised that one got stuck. They're huge. <laughs> they're, they're like shingleback babies. They're freaking they're massive. Wow. Um, so yeah, it's a bit sad, but um, yeah, that's just part of
1: how it goes sometimes. It's part of breeding, you know, that people right. don't realize. They think they see everyone posting up all these pretty little animals, babies left, right, and center, all these eggs and stuff like that. They don't realize the risks involved. Breeding the most dangerous thing you can do for a reptile. 100%. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Like
2: those blotches, like we we're just talking about, they're like one of the hardiest species you could ever keep. But as soon as you start breeding things, like that's when problems occur. So you hear that a lot with other species as well, that typically thought of as good or bad or anything like I know green tree pythons are a big one that you're probably thinking about now as well like a lot of people keep them for years and years and years no worries at all some people say they're the easiest snake they keep then as soon as they start breeding them things are just dropping like flies it's it's
1: crazy yep yep I'm uh, a very nervous man at the moment that's for sure my um my female's starting to look a little bit chunky too so I don't know I don't know if she's just putting on weight or or what the go is but yeah she's uh she's starting to look all right I'll see how we go. I'm not, you know, touch wood. Fingers crossed, f- yeah. Yeah, my fingers are still crossed. <laughs> yeah, just in case. <laughs> I, know, I know both of you guys are keen for potential babies out of there, so.
2: Yeah, nice. Be nice. <laughs> yeah.
1: But, yeah, I mean, I've, I've lost animals through breeding, unfortunately, plenty of times, you know. I've I lost a Simpsons python to it. I lost a male carpet, um, actually, because of the cooldown, he just—I don't know if he just got too cold or something like that. But you know, it wasn't an abnormal temperature by any means. But he came up and just dropped. Um, I've lost a female Gilleneye and, and a female Orientalis, and my thought on those particular two is I think they were just a little bit too small, and I think that when they actually had eggs, they had so many eggs in each clutch yeah. that it just seemed to suck. life out of them basically and they just refuse to eat afterwards i even had to go to the point of syringe feeding them and stuff and they still didn't come back from that but Mm. you know these are mistakes you learn and you know sometimes you just can't help it either so yeah just because
2: just how some some animals are built you know like especially those desert dwelling animals and things sometimes they'll only live for a year in the wild and they need to just try and pump out whatever they can before they die (laughs) it's yeah right so it's not surprising they can do these weird things at such small sizes, but the end of the day, it's not, not good for them in the long run.
1: No, well, I mean, you look at something as simple and as common as a, a central bearded dragon, right? Pagona viticeps. Those things can drop, what, four clutches, if you're lucky, a year, usually totaling anywhere from 15 to 25 eggs, depending on how much food and stuff the females got access to. So you're talking about, let's say, give or take, 80 to 100 babies there, and those babies have all been made by mom and dad and they all consumed a certain portion of her body weight coming out and then they're out into the wild and the, uh, us as breeders too you have those then 80 to 100 babies but not all those babies are meant to live you know in the That's wild 95 percent right. of those would be bird food monitor food whatever else is going around and then those... some wouldn't make it out of the egg correct yeah but, you know, us in captivity, we're trying to play God and we're trying to make every single baby live.
0: and 100% hatch rates. Yeah. And...
1: Yep. But, you know what, these things happen. You know, we, we I, I I got over playing God a long time ago. You know, I kind of got to the stage where I was like, if you come out of the egg and you're healthy, that's awesome. If you don't, that sucks. Um, you know, if you need a tiny helping hand, I'll try to give it to you, but I'm not going out of my way to, yeah, you know, really pump these things anymore. I think it's just too too detrimental.
2: It's just prolonged suffering. Sometimes, in many cases, you know, like it's just for you. Like you want to get that thing past a certain point, but in reality, it's probably never going to get past that point. You're just sort of prolonging its suffering.
0: Yeah. But you know, you don't know if you know later on down the track, where if those animals grow up to breed, whether the what effect that's going to have on their offspring as yeah. well. Yeah. Like weak, weak hatchlings and so on. So.
1: Yeah, I mean, you see so much of it, like in not that I'm bagging mutations, but you generally see a lot of that in mutation morphs and stuff like that in pythons and stuff like that, where you do have mm. genetics that just don't work together or they come out incredibly weak, like the spotted python, the albino spotted python, like that was, you know, pretty cruddy for quite a number of years there. And, and then you've got guys like Peter Birch that have put in some pretty hard yards to try to rectify that and, you know, outcross and all the rest of it to try to strengthen it up again. So it does take a lot of work to try to bring those sorts of things back to good
0: yeah Mm, that's right
1: speaking about snakes how is it having some snakes back in your collection that must be pretty exciting after a few years
2: yeah it's it's cool it's um it's nice to not have to feed things every every day (laughs) 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 like my pygmy pythons just i gave it a couple of feeds you know every week or so for the first little while just to make sure it settles in well and then now i'm just leaving it and it's just cruising around every night like all bug-eyed looking at me like come on come on feed me I'm like, nope, not today not today you can wait another week you're fine <laughs> and it feels good to not have to do that so yeah it's uh it's cool to have snakes again i'm glad i started something small and manageable and uh yeah it's we'll see where it goes in the future hopefully what, hopefully more something green.
1: <laughs> you don't something want any scrubbies scrubby. or anything like that yeah you're not lining up for any of those Oh, not just yet.
2: Um, Scrubbies are very cool. I wouldn't mind working with scrubbies. Any of those Somalia really cool snakes. They're definitely impressive, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Impressive bite as well. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But, yeah, starting small, we'll see where it goes. It's just cool to have something legless again.
0: Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, that's for sure.
2: So, And I'm keen to make some different sort of videos as well because obviously my channel is very... Lizard-based, but um, keen to do some nocturnal filming and things, seeing what the snakes get up to at night and um, just different sorts of videos.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Very cool.
1: That's one thing that I do find kind of good about having. And it's not just for videos. Well, it's actually not for videos at all. But I like having a bit of a mixture of everything in my collection just because then you can go down and you can see something completely different to another species or, you know, like – Like monitors for me and blue tongues for you. You know, you've got a few monitors, you've got a few blue tongues. They're generally the same sort of animal, do the same sort of things, and they kind of roll on from one another. Yeah. Whereas then you you throw a few dragons into the mix, a few turtles, a few frogs, a few, you know, or for me, brown tree snakes and pythons and stuff like that. Like it it just becomes a bit – a few geckos. It just becomes a bit different. I I I think that's where I got
0: burned out of it because all I had was geckos at one point. I had so many and I was just – Yeah, the same thing after – I mean, they're all like different species and so on, but, you know, it's essentially the same thing at the end of the day. Well, it's a a catch-22. So having all these different species
1: is great in theory, but then you've got to remember – yeah, you've got to remember how to look after each individual animal. Like I have to go – Oh, and I actually have to feed these brown tree snakes pretty often, you know, whereas I look at the pythons and go, yeah, every three weeks if you're lucky sort of thing, you know, like yeah. they're pretty crazy like that, whereas I'm in there with the brown tree snakes trying to feed them once or twice a week. And then you you got to remember your geckos at night, your lizard, diurnal stuff during the day, your turtles, well, like whatever, whereas at least for you, when you did have all those geckos, you knew they were all on a night shift, you knew they all needed bugs, yeah. you know, so that kind of makes it a little bit easier in that sense, but... yeah
0: that's true and at the same time like I think it just, you almost go into autopilot mode too where it's like yeah. I'd come in here I'd have all the different sized crickets I'd have different containers for um, calcium powder and I'd just scoop up crickets shake it all up and then I'd just whichever ones were the right size I'd just chuck a bunch in these enclosures go to the next one chuck a bunch in that enclosure and then once I'd done all the stuff that ate large crickets, I'd go to all the stuff that ate medium crickets. Do with that, that, then go to stuff that ate small crickets, and it was almost just autopilot mode. Yeah. But um, not that I didn't enjoy it, but you know, I, you know, I do. I did miss having snakes. Like for some reason, like something just draws me back to snakes. I think once you've had a snake, you always want a snake.
1: Yeah. It doesn't definitely. have to be. Doesn't have to be like twenty snakes, but just That's having right. a snake,
0: it's yep.
1: kind of nice. Yeah. yeah, just to break it up. For sure. I can definitely agree with that. I've always been a bit of a snake guy. Once I got into snakes, I was like, no, nah, these things are always sticking Man. around, in particular the greens. Oh, yeah.
0: I miss them. I and mean, greens and ruffies, they're probably thinking of snakes, they're probably the only snakes that I really actually want to get again, I think. So until the yellow pelly comes around. <laughs> yeah I don't know my pockets aren't deep enough for that but <laughs> I might have to give that a decade <laughs> yeah but no if, if they did become available I'd, that's definitely something I'd want to keep eventually as well but um, yeah I don't what, think what would you, what,
1: what would you like to keep like you've already so sorry I'm directing this at you Coop so yeah. you've already got a few Antaresia there um, and you've already mentioned that you'd like a green is there anything that's like a little bit left of field or a bit different that you might like to keep as well? Uh Snake-wise?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, like I said, I love the greens. They're originally what I was just going to dive into snakes with again, but then saw a pygmy python up and I was like, oh, I've always liked those. I'll get that. Otherwise, aside from that, I do really love roughies. um having
0: Definitely worked like with, us then. Yeah.
2: Having worked with a few before and, like, they're just such interesting snakes. Like, there's nothing yeah. like them. And, yeah, as you all know, they have such an incredible story and just what else is there to say about them? It's just wicked. But aside from that, um, I I wouldn't mind something like a common tree snake, something like that. They're really cool, I think. I do quite like the boigas. Yeah, nothing nothing too crazy aside from that stuff. Um, Yeah, just those things, I think. I would really like some of those tree snakes just for the fact of how active they are, like – it is yeah. non-stop all
0: day like lightning class
2: too yeah like i got a friend who's got some of those blue phase common tree snakes just turquoise blue like oh beautiful animals and i think
1: they'd be really fun to keep but yeah
2: just that's yeah, the things.
1: Stunning. something like that would be really cool to do in a really large display enclosure yep. i think like if you could do it properly with like heaps of upright tree branches and stuff like some, yep. i'm talking something massive like let's just spitball here for a second like a couple meters long a meter deep meter or so high just so they can actually whip around and race around like they do in, in nature like they're yeah, a yeah. very quick active snake yeah. so I believe yeah. that they'd need a lot of room if you wanted to do them properly but yeah that would that'd be so cool to see them just flying through tree branches and stuff in a nice big display yeah. and you could do
2: so much with the environment like you could make it bioactive live plants you have a water section because they do like to swim around as well hunt fish and things like it's
0: yeah. Yeah.
2: very diverse um
0: range of things you can do with those species so yeah you don't see a lot of them around either. Nah. Like, nah, they demand a good price tag. Yeah, especially the blue phase ones. Yeah, yeah but, I, but I mean, it, you know, it kind of speaks for itself, really. But
1: well, how many blue species of snake are there out there? You know, like or, or many species that actually have a blue capability. Yeah, not many. Nah, the only other one that I can think of in Australia would be a green tree python when it's either hormonal, hormonal. or if it was genetic or anything like that. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, those those um those common tree snakes—they're fantastic. That was one thing that I found really hard to walk away from. I wish I was a, a really rich man, but that that last expo <laughs> before yeah before COVID really smashed us. Bill Bill Swinyard, yeah, Bill Swinyard had. I bought the uh, a brown tree snake off him. He had oh man, he had um night tigers like your regular kind of common tree snakes, blue tree snakes. Like yeah, gold tree snakes or something there as well. Like he had a table full of different types of tree snakes, and I, yeah. reckon, you know, if you were smart and you wanted to get into the game, that was the perfect time to hit him, a, hit up a few, few good snakes there. That was probably my favorite
2: part of that expo to seeing something so different like that. You never see it. Yeah,
0: that's right. Yeah. That's something you never see at an expo. You never I was see shocked it.
2: Shocked to see those. I was like, oh my god, and then I saw the price tag
1: and I was like, damn it. I can't go. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, they were like a couple of grand for those blue ones I think. They were yeah. pretty pretty penny, but nonetheless. Did they end up selling
0: or? Yeah. yeah, I think
1: he sold his old table. He actually I think he was getting yeah. out of the hobby completely, so he just ah, okay. got rid of everything. But yeah, he had um he had an excellent table. That was the that was probably one of the best tables I've ever seen at an expo. Yeah, I'd have to say. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe apart from Rick's table occasionally, but that's just because I'm a gecko freak. So (laughs) I don't mind seeing all those fancy geckos around there. So, um, all right, well, let's get off the snake snake keeping (laughs) because I know that you keep a a few... Oh, hang on. I'm going to weigh down my list here. Let me see where I'm back at. Um, Do do you have any sort of like big enclosure plans or anything like that on the horizon? Like have you you started doing a, a few different methods with your rock... Mock rock work and stuff like that?
2: Yeah, so recently I've been working on a few things. Uh, luckily or unluckily, however you want to look at it, I try and look at the positives to things, but we're in lockdown at the moment. So it's given mm-hmm. me a bit of time off work and a bit of time to get to work on some enclosures. And uh, yeah, recently I've just almost finished up a nice display for my pygmy python. Uh, it's all decked out with a nice rock background and uh, yeah, I've been trying out a few different things with the, uh, the good old tile pointing method that uh, Luke's
1: very familiar with and it's, yeah, it seems to be working really well. That's very popular around the hobby these days, this this method that uh, I think Shane Greenman Greenman brought it to light in the hobby and then I think Cam really popularized it with his YouTube channel, Cam's Custom Backgrounds. And, yeah. They, they, those guys definitely gave me a few tips on how to use it and stuff, and it's good to see you playing with it now too, because then it's kind of cool seeing everybody doing different things with the same product. You know, like I think that everyone's got their own flair on different bits and pieces, and that makes it really unique. I have to say though, I think your pygmy python enclosure, the mock rock on there, was some of the best that I've seen done with this tile pointing. Yeah, it looks really good. It's not me being biased, but I actually reckon that that's the bee's knees. I looked at that and I've gone, bloody hell, I need to. (laughs) <laughs> i'm looking at mine looking at like square blocks and stuff like that i'm going man mine looks like lego compared to that. <laughs> <laughs> well like i said to you guys before we started
2: i i got very frustrated <laughs> with that whole process <laughs> i wanted to smash it with a hammer a few times i still kind of do in some spots but um yeah like i said that's my first sort of like big enclosure build with it i guess so i've got to refine things over time and get better at it i know there's a lot that I'd go back and change if I can do it again. But you'll see it all in the next video I put out about it and uh, got the whole thing filmed. So, yeah, it's That's a exciting. good little little project and it came good, out really good Good to show everyone how I sort of did that. Um, yeah, we'll just keep developing over time and see how it goes. But, uh, yeah, I appreciate
1: the, uh, the kind words about it. <laughs> well, it's like anything, right? Practice makes perfect. Like I'm looking at a few of my enclosures going, man, I could have done this better. And I look at like I got really lazy with – I think it was my prickly forest skink enclosure. I did like the, the boulders and stuff and I can really easily see like the paintbrush marks through it. And I'm like, oh, that looks horrible. I should have spent time smoothing that out and making it look all nice and perfect. But, you know, that Sometimes is what it is. Sometimes you just get through the build and you're like, all right, let's just get this done. <laughs> just, yeah. Just go for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, when, when the- you've done so much carving and so much painting and stuff, like you kind of get to the end and you're a bit tired. Yeah, hundred. Uh, I definitely felt that with this build. But
2: uh, after listening to the, the podcast you guys did with Matt Somerville where he's just like, oh, I hate those brush, brush strokes and things. I was like, <laughs> yeah. I'm not doing that for this one. And like, yeah. I, I'm kind of like, I'm, yeah, I, I'll talk about it in the video. I kind of do a different thing where I don't stroke it. I'd like tap
1: it on. Sort of, yeah. Anyway, you'll see. But um, yeah. yeah, I was very anti-stroke, mark. <laughs> I, I did it in a couple of my builds. It's funny that you talk about tapping, but like even like on the final layer of the pointing, I was almost using the brush like the, the bristle end pointing down into the actual paint and then kind of pulling it off. So then it like kind of dabs and dimples the yeah. eye pointing just to kind of give it a completely different texture. And like on the final layer, I'd like do that over the whole thing just so it has no uniform uniformity about it. It was very dimpled in that. It was, I did that for a couple of leaf tail. Actually, they were the ones that I brought to the expo. Yeah. the couple of the leaf tail ones and the, those guys run around and they're so quick because they got so much to grip onto. Like it's not smooth yeah. or anything like that. They've got plenty of plenty of footholds to get into yeah that's that's kind of what i did with mine like the first few layers i just slapped it on
2: there like normal and then the last one i really just like tapped everything on so it sort of rose to the top i guess and made that sort of yeah dimpling sort of texture to it and yeah it
1: came up pretty good i think i'm looking forward to that video that's yeah. for sure so um well that's pretty cool uh you, you've done a few for your blueies as well didn't you you've done like a few little kind of Corner hides and stuff like that using the tile pointing as well.
2: Yeah, yeah. So I've been. I'm gonna give it to everything. I think that like likes to hide under rocks and stuff Um, because it's essentially like having a rock, except it's you know half half the weight and it's nice Mm. and durable still as well. It holds heat well. I have it under the the heating sometimes. And what I'm actually going to do for the pygmy python, the, the one thing I have left to do before I set it all up properly and get her in there is I'm making some extra rocks that'll go into the bottom of the enclosure. And I'm going to, again, make them out of the pointing and things. So they're nice and light and I'll sort of make the underside of them semi sort of dented in, but not much at all. And so then she can really jam herself under there and squeeze right under and she'll be probably be be able to move it if she wants because they will be that light, but she'll be able to feel like contact at every point of her body so she can wedge right in there. I think that's really important for a lot of species, especially Mm. snakes and things. They like that, you know, tactile comfort all around their body to be touching something so they feel nice and you know jammed in and secure without the risk of having it crushing her or something like that so that's sort of my plan yeah. with that oh that'd, that'd be look cool. really good because okay. they'll have the same texture as the background won't they yeah i'll make them yeah. in the same way so hopefully try and match the colors as best i can yeah but um yeah and that sort of uh, came from a it's part of the reason i got the pygmy python i watched a uh a brian bush video on his youtube channel i don't know if you've seen it where he's finding pygmy pythons i don't know why for me it's just a really wholesome video he's just flipping these big concrete stones and finding little pygmy pythons and just having the time of his life with it and um yeah i just want to sort of replicate that kind of thing in the enclosure a little
0: bit yeah have that slice of nature yeah instead of just yeah I haven't actually seen that video. I might have to check that YouTube oh, channel. Out. It's
1: hilarious. <laughs> uh, I love that guy. He's so funny. As soon as you mentioned that Brian Bush had a YouTube channel, I'm onto my phone going, I didn't, I didn't know this phone. at all. I was like, they I need to it. It's all. called
2: um, Pygmy Python Heaven, I think the video is called. It's it's great. I loved it. Oh, he, he's there for about probably. 10 minutes and he finds three or four pygmy pythons just flipping a couple of rocks like, like, like it's nothing. And a few other species as well, some geckos and things he's just loving it. It's uh, it's great. It's put, put a massive smile on my face. I love that video. Yeah, I'll have to have a watch.
1: Have you, have you ever thought about making a little termite mound?
2: I have. I have. Um, that was something else I was thinking about doing. Um, we'll see if there's room left in the enclosure after I make the rocks and uh, <laughs> yeah. I'll try and fit one in just for that because it is, you know, the anthill python. But, uh, yeah, we'll see.
1: <laughs> that was my thought. I was like, you do have, you know, pathensis so that's you know yeah, yeah the antel python that yeah, kind of goes hand in hand essentially um do you want to kind of just touch on what the sort of like pros and cons of keeping your reptiles outdoors could be i know we've kind of talked about it in the past between you and i but i think it might be good for because i don't know how many keepers at home actually have the chance to keep a lot of their reptiles outdoors but you've got a fair whack of them out there yeah so that's for a long time that's how
2: i, I kept most things in it Honestly, it really is the best way to keep any anything if you can. Like, it's local to your area or close by, where you can sort of match its natural range and things, and get them outside. You know, nothing beats natural sun, natural you know right. wind, weather conditions, humidity, everything. It's just it's so diverse, and you just can't replicate that inside. Like, it's just insane. Like, when you really dive into it, it's it's crazy. Everything works together to form an environment. But anyway uh there is a lot of things you need to consider though when you're keeping animals outside so obviously temperature extremes are a big one as, as we mentioned mm-hmm. before you know heat waves come especially here in australia and when they come they uh they don't take any prisoners that's for sure they just no. wipe things out so you got to be prepared and have a plan in place for any sort of eventuality now if, if you look back on my YouTube channel a few months ago, we actually got flooded as well. So that's another thing. It's not just heat. It's it's cold and rain and everything. So all my blue tongue pits and everything got totally flooded. I had to bring all the animals inside and get them all out. And a flood even a few, okay, about a year before that, I was away. Luckily, my parents uh, were home and basically my dad got up at you know 3 a.m. in the morning just because just he woke up and needed to, you know, get a drink or something like that. And he was like, Oh, I'll just check outside to see how the rain's going. And sure enough, the whole backyard had risen overnight and the animals are about an inch away from, from drowning in their, in their huts. So he ran out there with an umbrella and some gum boots at 3am in the morning and, and saved them all, thankfully. Um, so yeah, lots can happen and you've got to set up things to prolong their, their life if things happen so you can get there in time. So a big thing I'd recommend anyone do is what I have is any animal I have outside, I have a corresponding sort of tub or container. I can put that animal into and bring it inside in case anything's happening. So uh, like my blue tongues and things, I've got a tub for each of those. I can bring them in, set them up inside for the day, if it's a heat wave or anything like that. So they can stay nice and cool and be out of that sort of environment as well you know it could be anything that happens like an animal breaks in an enclosure breaks something happens you know like you've got something at least for a short period of time where you can put that animal if you need to um otherwise you just got to set things up up well so have good hiding spots obviously predator proof the enclosures make sure you know your environment and your animals and things so nothing get taken away like for a long time, I kept my blue tongues without any sort of cover over the top. If they were adults, obviously, I wouldn't put babies out there because they'd just get taken by a kookaburra in no time. But, um, yeah, as time goes on, you learn things and you see other people's experiences and hopefully you don't have to learn the hard way. So,
1: yeah. Yeah, you and I both had issues with the brats as well.
2: Oh, yeah. Unbelievable. <laughs> Those bloody things. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, yeah. That was... um. I think it was kind of coming out of winter. I had that problem. I can't remember if it was last year or the year before. Actually, I think it was last year, and I had uh, you know I was starting to feed the blue tongues again, and the the rats were keen for some food as well. So they started gnawing through the sides of enclosures and getting into enclosures through little tiny holes, big enough that the blue tongue couldn't get out of the hole, but yeah. small enough the rats could get in and out. And you know if there wasn't any food left into there, they were chewing on the sides of the blueies as well. So.
2: That makes me so mad! <laughs> like,
1: yeah. Oh, that just
2: yeah makes me want to just destroy things. But um, yeah, it's horrible, isn't it? And yeah, it's just something
1: you don't really it's know so about
2: until it enough, happens. Too.
1: Yeah, uh, you know, like I had some pretty solid mesh on the side too. But you know, rats are rats are very smart little animals. That's for sure. Yeah. You have to give them kudos where kudos is due. Yeah. So um, if putting
2: things outside, just always understand that things can and will happen just try and avoid them as much as you can and have plans in place in case things go south because it can happen you know really fast
1: yeah that's that's the thing like you know essentially when you're keeping something indoors you're reasonably controlled you know you have got things like thermostats and timers and that in place so you can kind of create your day night cycles with maximum temperatures low temperatures all the rest of it you know, misting systems for rain and stuff like that so you can simulate things. But, you know, outdoors, you're really at the mercy of Mother Nature. Yeah. But, um, yeah, Ooh. I really like that tip of having those those tubs indoors for the corresponding animals. I think that's I really key. I've used it quite a few times, a really so idea. it's come in yeah. handy, that's for sure.
2: I mean, it might just be because my area is more, more prone to floods and things like that. But, I mean,
1: I'm sure there's always going to be some sort of time where it's going to happen and be in use. Yeah. Well, I mean, even just not the floods, but as you say, like the heat waves and that, like I had nothing when that heat wave came through. I was literally throwing my animals into a laundry tub. It's just all together. I was just like trying to keep them going, you know, but, yeah, you know, I wasn't prepared. So I don't think anyone was
2: prepared for that weekend though. That that was insane. Yeah, that one was pretty nasty. That's for sure. Uh, And like, even then, like I had everything inside. I was like, okay, we're good now. It'll be okay. And then, our power went out, <laughs> so I couldn't even keep the house cool. So, luckily, it just retained enough cool to um, be all right. But
1: yeah, it was really scary. Yeah, that's nuts. A bit of a different question about keeping animals outdoors. Like, so more often than not, you when you have juvenile blue tongues, correct me if I'm wrong, but you tend to do a fair bit of raising indoors with them. Yeah, hundred percent. So, I mean, it's more so about the temperatures. So, I
2: don't like keeping animals under a year old outside of their first winter because they're small, they're more susceptible to anything really. And they're not as strong, I guess, as something that's more big and established. So I like to keep them warm over their first winter and keep a close eye on them. Then after that, I know they're strong enough and they can go out there and be totally fine. Um, But yeah, otherwise, you know, I, I just like keep them inside just so I can keep more of an eye on them. But I have in the past many times after they've been born until winter hits, just had them outside there's no no problem with it at all. Yeah. Mostly the winter
1: that I, I try and avoid for those first year animals. Mm. The the reason I kind of brought it up was because we've talked to Scott Iper in the past about, you know, UVB on animals and how the animals that are kept, you know, with UVB, in particular natural UVB, tend to be a lot tougher, a lot firmer, like a physical, you know, you can kind of notice the robustness in their in their um skin cells and stuff like that like they feel like they're a bit thicker so to speak i was just wondering if you kind of noticed that with animals that you might have had inside for a while and then comparing them to animals that you've had outside Uh,
2: nothing really springs to mind too much not with like young animals or anything um but the thing the thing is i still take things out for sun anyway so yeah so they get that yeah i'm really big on sunning things so i couldn't really tell you but um you know after all that though I didn't I probably didn't make the best case for outdoor keeping but I think definitely you'd probably agree that positives outweigh the negatives when 100%. It comes to the animals like you look at an you, you feel an animal that has been living outside for a good period of time and you see the way
1: it's just thriving out there and if it's set up right of course and there's just no comparison to keeping indoors. A big one for me in that sort of circumstance and one that I always try to promote very heavily for being outdoor animals are turtles. I was about to say that, yeah. That was the, that
2: was one of the times where I, I definitely noticed something. We had our turtles inside for many years, usually probably because they were a lot smaller and then I was like, stuff that, let's pop them outside. I, uh, found in some, the spa good, bath. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I found a good means to uh, keep them outside in a good enclosure and, um, yeah, their shells just went insanely better just from that natural sun and things. It was amazing. They turn into rocks.
1: Like oh, they, they, they physically feel so hard and solid like a turtle should feel as soon as they're in natural sunlight for a period of time. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I actually did a bit of an experiment. Um, when was this? It was maybe about two or three years ago now. We bought a whole bunch of Murray River turtles into to work. I think we bought like 30 or 40 of them. And uh, anyway, I took home five of them to put inside like a little tiny pond. And when I say pond, I'm talking like a 100-liter container that had nothing in there but a little bit of sand, essentially just somewhere for bacteria to live, a few little branches so the turtles could actually get out onto something. Um, There was no filtration whatsoever. There was heaps of natural plants and stuff like that growing in there just so the turtles had somewhere to hide, a bit of shade and stuff. And I I had these five turtles for six months and just before it kind of got really into winter, I actually took them back to work and compared them to the turtles at work and the turtles that I had in that bucket, like it was pretty much a bucket were so hard in the shell compared to the turtles that we had to work, even under the T five lighting and stuff like that. And, you know, you see a turtle in captivity, a young turtle, like most of them are pretty soft. You can kind of bend them. The size difference wasn't too out of whack. Like they were pretty much the same sort of size. Um, but yeah, the actual sh- the strength in their shells was very noticeable. Yeah, yeah crazy, you can't replicate it? the sun. I don't reckon. No, and that just no.
2: goes to show, like, you know, sunlight obviously, as we all know, is essential for creating calcium and things in reptile bones. And a turtle is essentially a giant bone with uh-huh. a, a head and legs. So, yeah, if something's affecting that shell in that much of a way, then you can imagine what it's doing in the inside of the bodies of all other reptiles.
1: So.
0: That's right. The, the stuff you can't see. I mean, that, that's why
1: I'm going down the, the line of even providing geckos with UVB and stuff like yeah. that. Now, you know, things that I've never really believed in in the in the past, but you know, I'm prepared to change my mind and experiment with these things. And you know, if you're giving them everything they they could have access to in nature as best as you can, why not? Yeah, like that's I'm sure planning not. to put um,
2: UV on on this pygmy python in the new enclosure. So yeah, we'll see how it goes. I've seen accounts. I think Matt put up a thing where he said, like every day at ten o'clock or something, his pygmy python comes out and has a bit of a bask for a while, then goes back under and I like clockwork. So I'm keen to see what uh, what it does. I,
1: I've, yeah, I mean, I've seen. um I'm going to say they're a little bit more uh, commonly used with UVB, but my diamond pythons love UVB. Yeah, now that's that's not. You know anything out of the woodwork there. Um, but one thing that really did surprise me that I did catch maybe a couple of weeks ago now was one of my brown tree snakes out underneath the UVB and that was like midday too on a Monday, one of my days off and I went in there and she as soon as she saw me that she was out of there like she was straight into a hide but that really caught me off guard actually seeing my brown tree snake out underneath the UVB It was the first time I'd seen that.'
0: I used to like, my first jungle i ever got i used to keep uv on that and that jungle even up until it was like six seven years old was the most black and yellow jungle i've ever seen palmerston i'd love to play around with it with a bread lie. yeah to see if you can get that red yeah bread-ly, bread-ly. That. it's bread isn't it <laughs> i think S- so scott will correct me on
1: this i'll get a message yeah. later
2: Think about that a lot, like coloration and UV and stuff. Like, you look at a lot of captive gamers and things; like, they look trash compared to wild ones. Like, you look at any sort of—you ever seen like a crested dragon in captivity? They're grey and black. You look at a wild one; they're fiery red and yellow and orange, and they're just nuts looking. Even like Boyd's forest dragons, like wild ones—I've never seen one, but from photos and things and what people have told me, they're just insane looking. I can say for angle heads, for sure, wild ones, look insane compared to captive ones. And yeah, I think it's all to do with that UV and the, the natural natural light and things,
1: the, the visible light as well. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely going to be other things in those wavelengths that we're not catching whatsoever. Definitely. You know, I feel like this is like every episode, Jase, hey, we just start harping on about UVB. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a bad thing, people. It's not a bad thing. No. That's right. Pay that little bit of extra and see if you can improve your animals' lives. So, uh, while we are talking about UVB and animals that love the UVB, how are you enjoying your Gillen's monitor? Yeah, he's great. I'm um,
2: so glad I twisted your arm far enough to uh, <laughs> let one go, let one escape the army. But um, yeah, no. I thought good. you just came
1: around and nicked it, but you know.
2: <laughs> uh, it took a good bit of prodding, I think, but yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, he's he's an amazing little animal. I um, I wanted monitors for a long time, but um, and everyone was like, "Oh yeah, get an Aki. They're a, they're a great first monitor." I was like, "Nah, Aki's are cool, but I want something, you know, a bit different, a bit more fun in my mind. Something that likes to climb around and be a bit, a bit more crazy." And uh, yeah, I had my heart set on the Gillens, and uh, thankfully I knew a good guy. And um, <laughs> yeah, I absolutely love him. He's a great little character. He's very funny he's gotten a lot better with me now he comes out of my arm and things sometimes and he's very food motivated as most monitors are I think and yeah he's he's growing well and I think that'll be the next big enclosure I make is a a nice big one for him I've got a lot of really good large hollow logs that I'm so keen to use because he's going to thrive in
0: those I think that's awesome! I can't wait to see that one for sure. They are. Um, I love Gillen's. They're probably my favourite of the smaller monitors. I reckon the smallish uh, ones. Finger- if someone didn't hoard them all,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're I'm up to fourteen now. Oh <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if you heard that, Coop, but uh, yeah, got a couple of extra ma- uh, females actually. Oh, did you? Yeah, they're on a, on a breeding loan. So nice. I- Apparently, uh, this fella he had a, a a male that's maybe past his prime. So before the girls get too old, he wanted to give him one last crack with some different boys. So oh, potentially yeah. three different bloodlines going this year. So it's gonna be, to be raining, pretty exciting.
2: Raining Gillens at Beach of Scaly Beasts.
1: <laughs> it will be, and then I'll be up to thirty by myself. So <laughs> that's crazy. And then you might finally sell one. Yeah, <laughs> I doubt it. No, I, I've, I've kind of promised myself that if if I can get um, some babies from these particular girls and uh, the, from the male that I got off Kurt, um, then if I get some animals from my original group, then I'll sell those ones on just so I can keep some blood from the new ones coming in.
2: Yeah, but, you don't want to keep keeping all the
1: related animals, you know. Like no, you want oh, I want to spice it. it up. Yeah, for sure. But I, I'm going to start, you know, all going to plan. If this does all come into fruition, I'm actually going to start writing up some like family trees and stuff like that just to kind of keep tags on who's who and who's going over who and stuff like that. Because I think if I don't do that, then I'll get lost and, yeah, you know, I don't want to muddy the waters with my own stuff again. So, at least if I can have a few different groups. But, man, you should see the size of these females. They are stonkers. Like, they're yeah. massive. They're They're big girls. You know my male that you've you've seen here plenty of times, Gilbert. Yeah, yeah, Gilbert. <laughs> he's uh he's probably two thirds the size of these girls. Wow. All right. Yeah. yeah. Well, hopefully yes. that's
2: uh, a lot of good room
1: for a bunch of eggs, hey? Well, they need to lose some weight, so I'm hoping that's the case. Yeah, nice. So we'll see how they go. anyway. Cross.
2: Yeah, yeah. Definitely need some more more Gillen, especially this this time in the world. <laughs> Very yeah. popular animals.
1: Yeah, that's for yeah. sure. Every man needs dogs after him. Um, have you you have, could probably sell all of them straight away. I reckon. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They're kind of like a nest egg. I'm figuring at the moment. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. by the time I go to sell them, they'll be worth nothing. But I'll be happy with all my gillons. Oh, yeah, yeah. It doesn't bother me. <laughs> they'll they'll be ready for my walking gillens enclosure. What? Yeah. I started stirring up Danny about that. I'm like, you know, one of those spare rooms, I might just downsize the collection and we'll just put a put a screen on the front door of the room and I can just walk <laughs> in there with all these trees and heat heat lights hanging down everywhere. You could yeah, make awesome. some incredible
2: videos like with just a room. Oh, imagine that. Villains. Like throw in like a thousand crickets or, or something and just watch them go to town.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'd Just love herping to. in your own room. I wouldn't leave it. Yeah. <laughs> Especially How in winter, not like night. In there. <laughs> yeah. hammock in there, or something. Oh, I'd do that. I've got a swag. I could, I could do that. Just pretend I'm in Uluru. Yeah, yeah. sit under the heat lights. You know, get get the feel for it. I've already started thinking about it. Like I've already, in my head, I'm like looking at bathroom lights and things, you know, those big heat panel bathroom lights you get and I'm like, oh, I might need three or four of these, you know, over different tree hollows and stuff like that throughout this room. But I feel like I've seen those used at some zoos before. So, you know, good work. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. One day. One day. Have you done any training with your Gillen's monitor?
2: Not lately. Like, you know, as I said before, I've just been really busy. Uh, So not as much as I'd like, but um, you know I still hand feed him and things every now and then, get him to crawl out of my arm. Um, Just taking it slow with him, letting him do what he wants to do. And he's just generally more comfortable with having me around. Like he used to just run off and hide if I go near him or anything, but now he's you know pretty bold and out there. I just got to really try and refine it down to um, a bit more hands-on things. Like he definitely freaks out if I grab him. Like I, I made a video a while back where I did some upgrades to his enclosure and. I had to grab him at one point for that. And I didn't really mention it in the video, but if you like listen really closely when I grab him, you hear this little like hiss. It's very cute. But um yeah, I definitely pissed him off that day and <laughs> was a bit angry at me for a little while after that. But um
1: yeah, he's getting there. Oh, that's good. Yeah, they're such good how old's he now? Is he a year? A bit over a year? Yeah, a bit over a year, I think, yeah. i will lose track.
2: <laughs> no. Yeah, why no, you got actually, to run it all down, mate. Have your, uh, yeah, your whole big family tree going. I think no, that I is something that's quite like underutilized in, in the Australian hobby, especially. Like, no one does that sort of thing. Like, keeps no. track of their lineages and what's been with what and things. Um, I think it's definitely something that a lot more people should do.
1: Even just like different clutches and things, because at the moment I've got, I've got Gillens from the one pair, but I've got two separate clutches. So technically, they're all siblings but they're different years apart. So, Mm. you know, just trying to keep an eye on who's who and, and all that as well. Like, oh man, a big rabbit hole to go down there, but it's definitely something that maybe once I'm set up in my new place, I might actually put it into fruition and start putting pen to paper with it. So, uh, What's it like being one of Australia's original reptile keeper YouTubers? You're one of the pioneers. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely interesting. I, um,
2: just it started off as just I wanted to show off things you don't really see online about Australian reptiles and things like that. So like literally my first video was with my uh, when I first got my hyper melanistic blue tongue. At the time, I wanted to learn learn heaps about them, wanted to know about them, and I like many other people, especially young people at the time and now especially, go to YouTube for a lot of information. So. It's a good way to find things, I suppose, depending on what you're after. And, yeah, at the time there was nothing really on it. So I was like, well, I've got one now. I can start making some videos on it. And uh, it sort of went from there. I just wanted to show off all the interesting, cool, rare Australian things that you don't see anywhere else. Because um, most Australian reptile videos are on like, hey, here's my bearded dragon, you know, and <laughs> it's got no scales anymore. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, um, so, yeah, I just wanted to show off all the really cool things that you don't see because we have such amazing species here that I think puts the world to shame and, you know, they're really hard to find. Not many people have them, so I wanted to seek out those people and things and just show them off. So, yes, yeah, that's yeah. how it sort of started and, yeah, I'm really passionate about that. Yeah.
1: Oh, it's definitely one thing that's, uh, you know, the Australian reptile hobby, I think when you compare it to places like Europe and America, it's so in its infancy still. Yeah. That's and right. In particular, the social media aspects of it as well. So, there's not a lot of Australian YouTubers out there when it comes to the reptile hobby these days. Um Yeah. Which is not a bad thing. I, I think, you know, the ones that are there, most most of them are you know for the right reasons and showing off some pretty good stuff and, and kinda of giving Australian a pretty Australians a pretty good name as far as reptile keepers are concerned. I'd like to think anyway. But yeah, I, I remember I still remember it was, you know a few years ago now when you were like, Oh, I'd really love to show off your collection to to everyone and I was like oh so nervous to have a camera put in my face. <laughs> it's <laughs> you funny, know?
2: you didn't you didn't seem it at all. I was like, Oh man, this guy could could Do my job for me, he's better than me at it. I suck behind a camera, and he's just like, Yeah, no worries at all. I was like, Far out,
0: you haven't Uh, seen me behind
2: a
1: camera. (laughs) (laughs) Truth be told, I was absolutely (laughs) packing my DAX that day, but (laughs) I I, I kind of did it as a bit of a challenge because I was like, I think we've kind of talked about this in the past where I'm a little bit of an introvert at the best of times, or at least I was quite a bit of an introvert, so I think. You know me putting myself out there by you know getting on film with with you, not only was I using it as a bit of a oh well, this might help me sell a couple of animals or something like that, but it also kind of helped me get over my fear of you know public speaking a little bit. So I've always been one tr- to try to push myself a little bit further because I hated public speaking at school. Like I could not think of anything worse than standing up in front of a class of kids and giving a speech on some topic that I didn't like and you know I just found that so daunting and I think you were kind of a little bit similar to me in that circumstance. As well, 100% though.
2: yeah I can I can vividly remember back in high school doing speeches and things. Speeches were my most feared uh, school assignment because I had to stand mm, yep, up in front of everyone definitely. and talk in front of everyone which was just insane like to me but um, yeah as time goes on with the YouTube thing I like my first massive run of videos I, I wasn't even in the videos at all and then after a while, I sort of thought like, if I'm going to go anywhere with this, I need to sort of have a personality or a character or something that I can put out there that people can identify with. And so I started putting myself in the videos, which was a big step for me. And then now I just don't even care. <laughs> yeah, You just get used to it. But um, as well as that, I, I, there's another part is why I got into the, the channel and things like that is Growing up, I was sort of like the only person in my friend group or anything that was actually into reptiles. I was kind of a loner in that regard. Like I remember kids at school and things would be like, Oh yeah, he's the reptile guy. Like if they found a reptile or something, like, Hey, what's this? What's what's going on with that? Blah, blah, blah. And and uh yeah, I was sort of a yeah, the only person into that sort of thing. So I wanted to make more friends and find like minded people in that sort of regard and yeah, reaching out with the the YouTube thing like that is was part of that reason and it's definitely worked very well I've met some great friends like yourself and um, yeah some really cool experiences so yeah it's been awesome.
1: I definitely find that that like this hobby whilst there's a lot of downsides to it and there's a lot of negativity and stuff associated with certain people in certain groups and stuff like that the most part of it in Australia is pretty good like we're yeah. pretty lucky and a lot of people get on and you know, whilst X might not be your cup of tea, you can appreciate it for what it is and yeah. appreciate someone's different thought of keeping styles and stuff like that. You know, like it's there's a million ways to skin this cat at the end of the day. So yeah, it's pretty good to have a whole bunch of bunch of people in it for the same reason.
0: Yeah, I think like you said before, we're lucky that we're still it's still so small in Australia at the moment. So Yeah. Um, you know, there's definitely places for it to grow, which would be good to see where it goes in the future.
1: I don't know if you ever found this coop, but my father in law said this to me one day. Like, I've always told him, like, this is just going back to public speaking. I've, he always kind of said to me, he's like, you know, if you start talking about something that you love, then you're not really talking. You know, you're just, you're passionate about it. You can do it so much easier. Whereas, you know, if, if you had to talk about something that you weren't confident on or you didn't like or anything like that, like, I still, can't talk about stuff like that but you get started on geckos or snakes or something like that i <laughs> won't shut up yeah hence why i'm here <laughs> yeah
0: exactly yeah
2: i i feel that 100 percent. i'd have people you know come around every now and then like when i was younger and they'd want to check out all my awesome you know lizard pits and things and like oh i was like oh yeah i can talk about this all day you know just ramble on about it and then but otherwise you know pretty shy and reserved sort of person not very outgoing in that regard I'm definitely not an extrovert um, but yeah when I'm talking about something I'm into
1: like you can't give me a shut up clearly as, <laughs> as proof of my channel <laughs> yeah well, I always laugh like kind of every like uh, Danny's family there love them to bits they're a very loud family right like they're all very out there they all like to try to not talk over each other but they're, they're, they're a very out there sort of family with that whereas my family was always quite shy and you know, very kept to themselves almost. And uh, I, I always have to laugh like every Christmas. I can kind of feel myself like almost fading a little bit into the background. But then somebody mentions, like, how are your lizards doing or something? And I just explode. <laughs> <You're laughs> it's like, hard. this is my moment. I can speak. <laughs> you know, like it's oh, that's great. It just comes out like reptile diarrhea. <laughs> so, yeah. That's fantastic. Oh, mate, we, we probably have to touch on a bit of Boyd's talk, I feel, because, uh, you know, Jason's now got his hands on a little group of Boyds and my guys are absolutely cranking along, not to mention that I've almost finished their enclosure build. So, you know, what what kind of got you into Boyd's? Like, what attracted you to Boyd's as a species? I mean, what's not attractive about them there? Yeah, I exactly stupid that. question. But... <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, one of the, yeah, but Obviously, one of the coolest looking reptiles in Australia and they're so different, like, to anything else especially in a gamut Um, uh, to me I always really liked green iguanas and just iguanas in general like when I was younger I was like yes one day I'll have a green iguana be the best thing ever now growing up I'm like after seeing overseas how green iguanas typically are with their keepers and things I'm like yeah probably probably not that good of a species to have but there's always (laughs) exceptions Um, but yeah to me the boys were always like a little mini green iguana or something you know like yeah. really cool animal i just love the big dewlap they have and all their pronounced crests and everything
0: that yeah. obviously
2: really drew me to them and again having that love of dinosaurs it's it's literally like a little tree dinosaur that's um, right so yeah that definitely got me attracted to those and i always liked rainforest animals as well i always thought i could make a really cool enclosure I always loved you know lush plants and everything like that so kind of ticked all the boxes and the fact that they're really easy to talk about like they have so many unique things about them like they're a thermoconformer. they uh live in one of the oldest rainforests in the world like this such a prehistoric sort of species like yeah
1: so just boys were just one massive big tick for me (laughs) Thermoconformer. that's what i was trying to think about all those weeks ago i was trying to think of the (laughs) term so can you can you explain that term a little bit to the listeners at home
2: Yeah, so most reptiles, you know, being cold-blooded, they need to be able to heat themselves up. Um, So they need to, you know, move in and out of their environment, you know, move into a sunny patch on a nice rock or something to heat their body up to whatever temperature they're required. You know, most things are mid-30s, early 40s, you know, whatever. But uh, Boyd's actually have quite a bit of a lower sort of metabolic need for their temperature, and because they live in the North Queensland rainforest up there in, you know, Cairns and Atherton and everything like that, it's really quite a consistent environment a lot of the time. Like, especially where they live in the niche in their environment, so they live under the canopy in the rainforest there, where it's nice and shaded and out of the direct sun and things like that. That's what they've adapted to live in. So things are quite consistent there, and so they just conform essentially to the Temperature around them. They know that it's going to be good enough for them, and they can handle it. And they just take on whatever temperatures around them. So they don't actively seek out uh, spots to warm themselves and things. The exception to that I've heard of is, you know, gravid females and things just to heat up those eggs a little bit. But um, generally, yeah, they just sit where they are and you know take it. So they're really cool in that regard in captivity, especially because you don't need to give them any heating generally. And yeah, they're really easy to care for in that regard. They don't have as much of a metabolic need as a lot of other species. You don't need to feed them quite as much, and they just do really well.
1: My my two that I got from you get pretty cranky if I don't feed them during summer though. <laughs> <laughs> they're at the glass doing these ones. Like, where's that big hairy monkey with the crickets?
2: <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, I mean they're not like a like a desert monitor or something. Or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. that needs constant non-stop. <laughs>
1: the no gill and I. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I have to touch on how how are yours doing, Jase? Because you've still got—is your little one yeah. still shy?
0: Yeah, yeah, still shy. They're all—they're all kind of like I think they're getting ready for the winter, or they're ready for the winter now. They're kind of slowed down quite a bit at the moment. So, all found their spots. They like to sit on the on the branches and behind the leaves. But um, yeah, they're getting there. They're getting better. Coming out a little bit, but like I said, they're slowed down a bit because it's it's heaps cold here. It's probably yeah, be way colder than where they came from. So. Yeah. It's probably a bit of a shock to the system <clears throat> coming from up, you know, the area pretty much from where they're from almost to the central coast. <laughs> Big temperature shift, So, I'm just, you know, I basically just check them every couple of days, feed them when they need it and just let them be just to let them settle in. So, try not to disturb them too much. Yeah. My guys at the moment, they're,
1: they're sitting really high in the branches. So, they're yeah, pretty same. much right up underneath the T5. Yep, so, mm-hmm, yep. yeah. Oh, yeah, I just I just figured they were trying to just get that little bit of extra warmth from up there, but they pretty much don't leave that position now. They're just yeah, same here. Up there. Yeah, my my adults over winter,
2: they they'll stay on the same branch for weeks and weeks. Sometimes you know, and I'll yeah barely ever feed them or anything. Like, they really that's another thing I really love about keeping them is. You know, a lot of things over winter time they broodmate. They might bury down under something, or just be out of sight for months on end. And you're like, "Cool, I've got an empty enclosure. <laughs> it's nice and yep. boring." But Boyd's, they'll just sit out and just look at you in the same spot, just looking pretty, sitting, just chilling. So it's really cool. Perfect display yep. species.
0: That's right.
1: Yeah, I think that's what drew me into them. Is not not only watching your videos. All the time on YouTube and going, oh man, I have to get me some of these. But also the fact that they are a display species, like that was one of those things that always always attracted me to green tree pythons as well. Yeah. You know, they were kind yeah. of always front and center, and you got to see them. They got they, they weren't an animal that hides away. Like I'm looking at my she-oak skink enclosure now, and I'm like, I haven't seen him in months. Like he's just <laughs> gone. He's in the in the yeah. middle of the substrate somewhere. I hope he's still in there, but you know, some of those animals just don't do so. All the prickly forest skinks, for example, <laughs> that's. If you ever want to keep an empty box with ferns in it, prickly forest skinks are your skinks.
0: The enclosure looks good though.
1: I had to make it look good so I could look at some of them.
2: At least for something like that, you can have some nice live plants in there. You can have like a little terrarium basically. Well, yeah. it's not out and about. so
0: yeah.
1: Every now and then if you're lucky, you see a
0: poo. Oh. <laughs> not a skink, a have poo. You seen him much? Have you seen it much yet? Nope. Nah. No. <laughs> Yeah. You've seen it less than I had.
1: Yeah. Every now and then I get lucky if I see like a piece of shed or something yeah. like that. I'm like, well, that's the most action I've gotten out of this skink. But you know, yeah. I can keep it locked. So I don't imagine he's gotten out. Yeah. And I keep nah. seeing little bits of evidence that he's still there. So yeah, yeah. he's there somewhere. I just keep putting crickets in. Yep. And they disappear. So <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> funny things to keep. I see my young one more, the one that Mitch gave me. But that's yep. only because he's in a tub and I can lift up the log real easy. And I go, there you yeah. are. <laughs> yeah. So that, that one's grown like a weed. So once it's up to size, I'll chuck him
0: in that enclosure with the other one. Awesome. hopefully that'll spur on a bit more activity out of him. Yeah. Yeah. Should do because they'll, they kind of rev each other, rev, rev each other up almost. They used to chase each other around the enclosure. It'd be cool to be able to do,
1: I mean, ideal world. I know this is very, probably not a safe idea, but imagine doing pricklies in the bottom of a Boyd's Forest Dragon enclosure. Funny you mentioned that.
2: Um, oh, we go. So not that specifically, but I definitely think the boys would eat them. Hundred yeah, percent. that's you. where I was um, going with it. You know, so that'd be interesting to see, I guess. But I was gonna before you even said that, I was gonna ask you guys: Have you seen uh, what's his name? Grass is greener. Reptiles.
0: Yes.
1: Yeah,
2: I've, I think, I've seen um, a bit of his stuff. Yeah. He's yeah. He put up a video the other day. He's got prickly forest skinks in with his green tree pythons. Oh, wow. They live together. So he's got a video. They're up on their perches and he's got some big enclosures. And then down in the ground- He's in that door as well, these enclosures. Down in the bottom, he's got the pricklies living in there and there was one just out like basking. And then he pans up and there's just the greens up there. It was really cool.
0: (laughs) I don't think I saw that video. I follow him, but I don't think I saw that. That's That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. I
1: mean, if you could get away with it, I suppose the upside, right, is generally the the green tree pythons are going to be nocturnally hunting. Yeah. Whereas the pricklies are obviously a diurnal animal, so then they're out during the the day. So hopefully they're hiding away from the greens at night. And the greens I will, I will add, so. I think he does only have them with like adult greens. Like I don't think an yeah, adult green would
0: bother nice. eating yeah. that yeah. small, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't seen that much. Whereas a young green would
2: probably really, really enjoy that for a snack. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> I thought about doing it with leaf tails um, and chameleon geckos, but I just, yeah, I never, never did. I just kind of kept them separate.
1: Well, I mean, ha- think about the guy that I got the Moritz leaf geckos off Um, the- recently at the expo. He had his adults Moritz leaf-tails in with his adult angle heads and they were both breeding in the same enclosure. That's so cool. Yeah. He had a day that. and a night shift in that in- one enclosure. Mm. I thought about keeping
2: Boyd's and-, and pink tongues together. I still want to do it eventually, but just need to get some pink tongues.
1: <laughs> They're not that They're common, cool. are they?
2: No. It depends like i've seen a few people with them i know mitch bred some i think but um mm. yeah they're i think they're a really cool species that's quite underrated like they're amazing animals and they're um, pretty
0: aggro too aren't they yeah, depends on the individual Every, I think. everyone i've seen is,
2: <laughs> seems to be pretty
0: aggro they're a spicy blue tongue with a pink tongue <laughs> yeah they like to climb trees yeah <laughs> no they're definitely cool i, I there's something i have really never put thought into but they would they look pretty cool in a nice enclosure, I reckon, all set up. I
2: really like them because I've always been really into the um
0: monkey tail skinks
2: overseas yeah. and they're essentially Australia's version of a monkey tail skink. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I think that's what kind of drew me to Boyds too, is cause they're kind of chameleon like in some yeah. sense. I yeah, like definitely. I think with like those crests and the jewel and you know, little spikes and stuff all over them. I think that was colors. one. Well yeah, exactly right.
0: Mm, that's true. Sure Not that. to the
1: same extent, but yeah, it's yeah. definitely to a good, good, good extent.
0: I'm
2: sure you've all seen that by now with all your animals. Like they can go from like a dark, almost black to like a bright, vibrant green, like and everything mm. in between. It, it's pretty crazy how much variation they can have just based on yeah. mood or temperature or anything. Like it's, yeah, it's pretty cool.
0: Have you noticed that with your leaf tiles, Luke? Yeah, yeah. definitely. It's yeah, crazy. You see
1: him at day, and they're like, you know, dark blending in with the rocks or whatever. And then at night, like they're really pale whites and things. Probably, you know what? Out of all of the animals that I have here, if I'm going to talk about color change, and this, this, this is day and night, right? Like, so at night, this animal turns into a completely different animal, even though he's not awake. My frill neck. So yeah, right. my frill neck. I kid you not. Is just about snow white at night. Yeah, wow. But then during the day, he's. Dark like a normal Queensland frilly, but at night yeah. he's like almost white. Like it's it's really incredible to see the difference in him. Wow! But yeah, when you compare it to like the other animals that we're talking about, like even like my ruffies and you know the the geckos and and the boyds and stuff like that, like this this change is, is massive. I'll have to I'll yeah. have to see if I can go down after this and I'll sneak a photo of
0: him on his perch and send it to yeah, you. Yeah, love it's to still. see that. It sounds it's really like cool. Freaky. I'll have to see if I can find a picture of this leaf towel I used to have. It was a male. It would go from like a red and a white to like the, the dark green, dark brown color. But if it was on like the light backing, it would be almost like a red, ready white color. It was wow. crazy.
1: I've always loved that about geckos, how they can just change like depending on what they're on. Yeah. Yeah. Like, ever want to do yourself a favor and you've got some OE doer at home, put them on a white paper towel. Yeah. <laughs> they turn into the best-looking geckos if you put them on a white surface because they're trying to pale up and look into there and all the colours have become like real vivid yellows and stuff.
0: Yeah, that's so cool. crazy.
1: Whereas if they're on a piece of bark,
0: then they're just a bit more drab. That's must serve a purpose though, I imagine. I always uh, camouflage, of, right? Of camouflage, yeah, have to be. Yeah. Like if they're changing different trees and everything else. So. Yeah. so keep- Different rocks and everything.
1: So Coop, you also work in the Macquarie Lizard Lab, don't you? Yeah, yeah, do a bit of work there. It's good fun. <laughs> can, you, can you just kind of tell us a little bit about how you got into that and you know what sort of involved in your roles there? Yeah, so
2: basically a couple of years ago now, I was basically out of high school. I went to university, did a Bachelor of Science majoring in biology and during that time I realised that uh, there was actually an on-campus lizard study area basically a study group called the lizard lab or the whiting lab run by martin whiting and um yeah eventually was able to volunteer and started there on a a blue tongue project which was really fun and uh yeah just kept helping them out there became part of the husbandry team and just helping them with all their you know study based things there so basically the lab studies anything to do with Australian reptiles, even some things overseas as well. When they go overseas and do things over there, uh, generally looking at behaviour and other things like that, and how it relates to them surviving or their relationships, and just yeah. all sorts of different things. There's lots of things always going on. But uh, what I'm doing now is basically I'm a research assistant, and I'm helping on a few different projects. So at the moment, I'm helping on a bearded a dragon project where we're looking at social learning. So. Essentially, we've got a large number of uh, beardies. We're going to be teaching a few of them how to do a specific task in order to get a reward. And then from that, we'll then put those animals with the rest of the beardies and then get them to repeat that task and see if the others will learn just by seeing that the others do that task and then see if they start doing it themselves. So see if they can pick up on things like that, which is so cool to think that's going to happen. And um, yeah, a few other things
1: as well. So... Yeah, it's really it's a really cool job. That's yeah. A, that's a, that'd be a pretty cool experiment to do to see if you could train them to essentially teach others how to get rewards and stuff. That's pretty unique. Yeah, especially in reptiles, like you, it's not something you'd consider really. But yeah, we'll see. No, things like birds and mammals and that, you'd think it would be way easier to do. But for for something like a prehistoric dragon, essentially, mm. that's pretty. That's pretty cool. Yeah. 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 You've got a pretty unique uh, viewing point from that particular tower that you've got there as well. Yeah, so I'll, I'll
2: encourage anyone to have a look if you haven't seen it yet. Uh, a recent video I put out on my channel is sort of a tour of the newest part of the facility there at the lab. Basically, got these four giant enclosures and a bunch of smaller ones off to the side, but they're not really related. But in the middle of those giant four enclosures, there's this big tower that you climb up into and you can have a sort of a bird's eye view of everything that's going on so you can see what all the animals are up to, how they're moving around, what they're doing and all the animals are individually numbered as well so you you can see that from the top, you can see who's going where, what's going on and um, something I forgot to mention in that video as well is there's actually pipes that go under the ground that can connect all those four enclosures together so as time goes on we can open those up and see how they disperse and move around and things so... Wow, yeah, there's cool. a lot of things that can be done with those setups and yeah, it's just so cool to see.
1: Oh, that'd be good fun. I do like yeah. how it's kinda of, it is very simply set up in the fact that you've got kind of like quadrants and stuff yeah. marked out there. You've got pallets essentially stacked against each other for basking spots for the dragons. So it's quite it's quite minimalist, but it's it yeah. has to
2: be that way just so we can keep track well, of you it. You've got to be can. able to see it. Yeah. That's right, yeah. Because you'd miss everything otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny though, <laughs> just Again, watching animals outdoors. So they're central beardies. They're in Sydney. They obviously love being out in the sun. But um, as time has gone on, weeds and things have started to grow up through all the sand and things. And you just watch them. They're so funny. You'll see not sitting on top of the pallets. It'll run down like as if something's just happened like crazy and then I'll just look around and then just take a little nibble from a leaf and then like run off. (laughs) And then you just like, what are you doing? Like this massive ordeal and just a little nibble from a little weed and then off he goes again. They're so funny to watch. (laughs) Uh,
1: That's awesome.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, Jason's just sent through these photos of these geckos that he was talking about that were – Oh, Nice
0: changing colours that's a that is a drastic difference especially for a leaf tail gecko yeah so it's a male on the bottom of that piece of bark as you can tell yeah but yeah oh wow that's night and day yeah that's incredible absolutely stunning I might post that picture back on Instagram I think so
1: (laughs) yeah you should uh, I'll uh, post it up on Facebook so people know what we're talking about there too yeah just to show it off so did you, did you get up uh, up to much herping last year, Coop?
2: Not as much as I'd like.
0: <laughs> but um,
2: I don't think anyone ever does unless you're nah. you know, Ricky Mack or something. But, um, yeah, no, I, last year I think it was I did a sort of a big trip up the east coast, basically just up to sort of southeast Queensland and along the way stopping in all different rainforests and things and I essentially saw angle heads in every part of their range. So that was quite fun. That's awesome. Wow, that's unreal. And yeah, the, you, it's really cool to see an animal across its you know, top to bottom. You can see the differences that come along the way. So like the ones in southeast Queensland are much bigger, usually a bit uh, brighter colored, I suppose, like more yellows and things on them, whereas ones down south are a bit smaller and uh, a bit darker, a bit different colored, more greens and the males are blue and things. So really cool to see some of the differences.
1: That's unreal. I'd love to do that with something like Diamond Pythons. I think oh, that'd yeah. Be cool. yeah, start at the bottom and
0: yeah. go up to like the way they start to integrate. Yeah, I reckon that'd be unreal. You hit that sweet spot around uh, Gosford. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, well, I think I'll be knocking on your doorstep for some... Uh, Hopefully, some local herping spots if you you'll allow me to come, come along with you because I'm uh, obviously going to be a lot closer to you guys now. So I think I'll be yeah. spending a bit more time up the coast now than potentially down this way. We'll see how we go. But yeah, I'd love to find some of those Gosford locales and also those red-eyed tree frogs around the corner from Jason. They sound like yep. a, a good viewing pleasure.
0: Yes, and some and the yeah. angleheads.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, I haven't found angleheads. So
2: that's yeah. the thing with them that they're, they're, they're one of my favorite things to find that's why i'm so keen to go up and find some voids eventually because i imagine it's quite the same thing like they're not an animal you need to struggle very hard to get into their habitat it's just finding them once you're there
0: yep. <laughs> like yeah you can walk
2: right past yes. them and they're like right in front of your eyes like i've done it before and someone behind me or whatever's been like you just walk right past one and i'm like what um so yeah, it takes a bit of skill to uh you know see them but once you do it's, it's so cool they're not an animal that runs away like you know like a water dragon you get close to it then it just darts off you yep. can get face to face with one and it'll just sit there they rely so much on their camouflage they just don't even they might shimmy around a branch every now and then but i've had times i can just walk right up to it pick it right up off the branch and it just looks at you like oh okay <laughs> you got it <laughs> that's
1: so cool There's not many animals that sit there and do that for
0: you. Yeah. Especially lizards. No. I
1: think they're
2: really good if you're you're into photography or something, like in-situ shots, because they're not going to dart off on you or anything. They're just sitting there looking pretty. Yeah.
1: Well, that's it, Jace. this summer. Cooper's going to show us some angle heads, and you can crack your camera out for some in-situ shots.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I need to get that out and dust it off and start using it again. (laughs) (laughs) Make sure the battery still works. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's awesome i um, i'm definitely keen to try out some new herping spots apart from like where i've been like i, fi- I find that like <laughs> northern beachers like myself we're very lazy so for in sydney you know if we go past the spit bridge that's an effort so <laughs> that's a big trek for us so some of my mates from western sydney they're like oh yeah come out to the mountains for the day i'm like uh nah like, that's a that's a big trip so um, yeah, I'm keen to keen to do some Central Coast herping, I reckon. I reckon that'd be some good fun this summer. I yeah, would, I'm just um, keen to
0: do some more herping in general. Yeah.
1: M- Mitch was talking about potentially trying to organise like a Wadigan's herp trip or something, which would be pretty fun. Nice. Yeah. So I think he might be keen for that this year. I might have to find a different vehicle to go in, though, because there's no way my car's getting into the
0: Wadigan's. Mate, I've seen Hyundai XLs in the Wadigan's. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, but I'm. Let's just say I'm less than hundred mil from the red Yeah, that's on, true. Was, yeah, yours <laughs> is pretty low. Yeah, I'm not getting into there. I did actually go into the Wadigans in a um, in a old Hilux on bags. <laughs> So I did make it in and it was like wet and muddy and somehow I made it in there. I was lucky I could jack that up pretty easily though just with the compressor in the boot. But anyway, this is what happens when you tinker around with cars as well from time to time. You end up having cars that aren't that great for getting into places. (laughs) Alrighty, guys. Well, Have we got anything else to touch on here or anything you want to kind of throw out there, Coop?
2: not, Not really. I think we covered pretty much everything. It was a pretty
1: solid catch-up. Considering it's yeah. the second time round, I think is, yeah, we might have warmed you up on the first one. You did pretty yeah. really good on this one. <laughs> that was good fun. I feel like we've yeah, we've kind of run through run through everything I can think of. I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Oh, that's good. That's all right then. Well I'll uh I'll wrap this show up and we'll get on out of here and the tired one can go to bed. <laughs> For those yep. at home, I'm just referencing to Jason's name on the screen here. He's labeled himself as the tired one.
0: I'm almost burnt out. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> yeah, I think you need to break, mate. Uh... Yep. Once this job's done, I'm going to do that. I'm going to take a week off and just spend time with the family and hopefully finish some things around the house and the enclosure and maybe knock up a rough scale python enclosure. Ooh. I figure the wife hasn't listened this far. So it's good when they don't. Trust me. <laughs> yeah, I. She doesn't listen to too Much. She doesn't get the time to, so. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is how dedicated Jason is too. He's still in his fluroes. He's like pretty much just rolled off the
0: <laughs> job site. And he's pretty there. much got home, had dinner, bathed the kids, got them to bed, then came, cleaned up after dinner while my wife got my daughter to bed because she cooks, I clean up dinner, you know, it's the right thing to do, <laughs> and then came straight down here. That's awesome. So, yeah. We should throw it out there that – uh you know, if anybody wants Owen's
1: address to send some, <laughs> send some Yowie paraphernalia to him, uh, you can just hit ask up Eric. Yeah, just ask Eric. He's pretty willing to give it out. So, if yeah. anyone wants to send him some Australian Yowie goodness, just uh, yeah, hit up Eric. <laughs> I just thought I'd throw that cheekily in at the end to see if he actually hears <laughs> it. Yeah. All right, guys, we'd like to say thanks to Eric and Owen and the rest of the NPR crew for having us. If you'd like to contact them, it's best to find them at moreliopythonradio.com and email them at info moreliopythonradio.com. As far as contacting us in our social media platforms, you can email us at the Australian to Culture, or sorry, Australian to Culture at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram as well. To see more of what Jason is doing, make sure to follow him at Facebook and Instagram at the Gecko Effect. For myself, you can find me on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Patreon, and Teespring under Beach of Scaly Beasts. We hope to have you back next week for another episode of the Australian Hope to culture podcast. Good night, guys.
0: Thanks, guys.